This is the Double Dribble Podcast, your source for everything Alabama basketball. Now here's your hosts, Jordan Harper and Matthew Landry. Welcome in to the Double Dribble Podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 16th, 2022, and this is another episode of the Double Dribble Podcast. My name's Jordan Harper, and join with me, as always, is my co-host, Matthew Landry. Um, Matt, I know you had a late night last night going to the, the USA game um, since you're a Mobile native, and I know uh, you've got to be tired, so I appreciate you hopping on with me tonight. <laughs> yeah, definitely tired from the late tip. Um, makes it better whenever you're doing it after a win, though. Um, even if it was extremely sloppy, it's good to come away 3-0. Absolutely. And, yeah, we'll kind of dive in a little bit to the the 3-0 start Alabama's had and kind of go over the games that they played, um, kind of dive deeper into the bot score, kind of see um, what went right, what went wrong, what, what they can work on because they've – They've got a lot tougher matchups coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but first, I just want to appreciate, say I appreciate you listening to uh, this episode. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. And if you could, just go and click the subscribe button on our podcast, wherever you're listening from, and pop a comment or a review and tell us on how we're doing. Um, that, that's always you, always appreciative. Um, but, yeah, for, right off the bat, let's start out with recruiting. Um, that's going to be kind of the theme um, this this year, we're going to kind of touch on any recruiting news first right off the bat because I know a lot of people are dying for some basketball recruiting news. Um, but really, it's starting to wrap up. Uh, we saw recently, last month, last Wednesday actually, was the early signing period for, for college basketball uh, 2023 class. And Alabama saw all of its members sign on the dotted line, sign their LOI, and commit themselves to go to the University of Alabama. And we were waiting on one, the long-anticipated announcement of top 50 recruit out of Oklahoma, Caden Cooper, to see where he was going. Because he he was going to be the last piece to this recruiting class, potentially. But last week we saw that Caden Cooper indeed decided to stay home and go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma staff did a great job selling to him that he could be the next Trey Young, be the hometown hero, and just kind of make himself known and just stay stay at home, represent his home state. And, you know, who can blame him? Who can blame him? It would have been nice to see him in different crimson and rot, but um, you can't blame the kid. So, Matt, kind of go on your thoughts, um, quick thoughts of what you um, – you know, what you thought when Caden Cooper ended up committing Oklahoma and kind of touched on Chris Parker. And, I mean, he, he seems to be the last last person that we're really recruiting in the 2023 mm-hmm. class, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I think Chris is probably the last guy that we're mainly after. There may be some other names pop up um, maybe in the coming weeks and months. You never know who's going to reclassify, who's going to decommit from their current school that they're either committed to or signed to. Um, so you never know what could happen down the line. But out of current names, Chris is probably the last one. Um, we'll see if the staff makes a hard push for him. I think he'd be a pretty good fit. He's listed anywhere between 6'6 six, six and 6'8. Six, He's got incredibly long arms, really good shot creator. 
Um, as he starts to play harder, which I think will come at the college level, I think he's going to be a really impactful player for multiple years at the college level. Um, so I think Chris is pretty good. We'll have to see in the coming weeks. I believe he's about a month out from a commitment, um, unless his time frame moves. I mean, Caden Cooper said since like last April he would commit in October, and then he didn't. Um, so you never know how these time frames are really going to work with these kids. Um, but, you know, with Caden, I mean, he would have been a really great fit at Alabama. I think he knew that. I think his family knew that. I think the staff knew that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's hard to turn down the chance to go be that hometown hero for the school that you probably rooted for growing up and the school that you've probably gone to a ton of games at growing up. Um, and it's hard to turn down that opportunity. I mean, it's like Alabama. If a kid from in-state Alabama gets offered to play at Alabama, more often than not, they they want to go take that opportunity to play for Alabama. Um, same opportunity for him to go play for Oklahoma. So as great of a fit as Alabama may have been, sometimes it's hard to pull a kid from not going to his hometown school. Um, so disappointed to see it. He would have been a really fun player to watch, um, but I'm excited to see what he does at OU. Um, they got a good one, um, and now it's time to see if the staff pursues Chris hard enough to try to bring him in, um, or if they're going to maybe try to hold that spot for a potential portal guy. So we'll see how it plays out over the coming weeks. Yeah, with with Caden, it would have been a remarkable finish to this class. And e- even without Caden, it's going to be it should be a cemented top fifteen class. Um, potentially with Chris, it could sneak into the top. It's currently in the top ten on rivals, but it they could stay there if they end up landing Chris Parker. Um, but regardless, I thought the staff did a fantastic job signing these four kids. Um, you know, Sam Walters, Muhammad Diabate, um, Davin Cosby, and <clears throat> excuse me, R.J. Johnson. Um, very good recruiting class and excited to have them locked, locked up and to be able to watch them um, their senior season um, in high school. Well, let's go touch on some of the games that Alabama's actually played. Uh, we've been dying for some games to be able to watch this team play and not just follow a bot score overseas or watch um, scrimmages against TCU and Southern Illinois. Um, so Alabama defeated Longwood in the first game, 75 to 54. It's kind of what you expected from a team that's very young in their first collegiate game, no matter the opponent, come out a little sloppy. Uh, we really didn't have that veteran presence I mean, you had Mark Sears, who's a junior, but his first year in SEC. Charles Vidiaco, the sophomore. Namari Burnett has really not played a whole lot of college ball. So you had a very young group led by mostly freshmen playing their first college game. And Longwood's actually a pretty solid team. I believe they're projected to be win their conference um, by their coaches or by the media in that conference. So it's a good first test, and I thought they passed even though they didn't shoot the ball well. Um, needless to say, you know, shooting three of 28 from the three is, whew, that's, what, 10%, I think? That's pretty abysmal. Yeah. Um, but still, I thought, you know, to be able to shoot 40% overall after shooting three of 28 from three, you know, they dominated the paint. They out-rebounded them 67 to 38. Um, still had nearly 20 turnovers and won by 21 over a solid team. Uh, kind of what what were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, we didn't shoot the ball well, but I thought it was a good glimpse of what the defense has a chance to look like all season. Um, they showed off how long they are. 
um, how much size this year's team has that last year just didn't have. Um, you know, Brandon Miller kind of showed the player he can be. He was six of eight from two. He didn't shoot it well from three, but he kind of showed that he has that ability to get to the rim, and he had a really tough mid-range shot that he hit in that one. Um, I thought Mark played pretty well, and he looked even better against Liberty, which we'll recap in a little bit. Um, I think the really the kind of the star of the show and how excited I was was to see Rylan Griffin, um, who was phenomenal both ways. He didn't shoot it well, but no one did. Um, but he made winning plays on both ends, as did Jaden Bradley. This was kind of a game where you saw all the newcomers really show the value that they can add to this team when they get minutes, which was exciting. Um, so I, I was excited from a defensive standpoint, from a rebounding standpoint, to see what this team is capable of. Um, we talked about Isaiah Wilkins last week as a guy to watch for Longwood. Alabama completely shut him down and neutralized him, which was really exciting to see. Um, so, yeah, Longwood should be a pretty good team. They should be in that top group of teams in their conference and have a really solid chance to win. So it you didn't shoot well. You turned the ball over a lot. But it's a brand-new team playing their first game, and it's a young team playing their first game. So I wasn't overly concerned about that. I was more excited about the rebounding and the defense and the way that they could just dominate the paint and take advantage of mismatches. Yeah, to hold Deshaun Wade and Isaiah Wilkins, like you said, to five total points. I mean, that – that just speaks to the length of Alabama's backcourt and to be able to switch off of, you know, the, the high pick and roll and to be able to have forwards that can be long enough and athletic enough to stay with smaller guards um, is phenomenal. And the fact that they want to defend is the most impressive part to me. And the most fun part for me to watch is that they just take pride on the defensive end and really hone in on stopping that, that team on that possession. That's all they're worried about. Um, they don't let their offensive end, whatever they're doing over there, shooting three of 28 from three, it's easy to get down and let that affect the defensive end. But this group doesn't do that. They play defense first and offense second. And that's one thing that I've really enjoyed watching them, watching them um, so far. In the second game, they defeated Liberty 95 to 59. This was a very impressive win, specifically in the second half. Um, Liberty is top, I think they're number 86 in Ken Palm. So they're a really solid team, um, brought back a lot, specifically one of the leading scorers in the country, Darius McGee, who was held to eight points. Um, I don't know if you saw what he did um, in their previous game after yep. they played Alabama. He went off. Mm-hmm. Like, what Alabama did to him was was great and just completely shut him down, wouldn't let him have any room, made him take – you know, very contested setbacks um, or outside shots, and they, they really couldn't do anything. Probably the best player on the floor for Liberty was Brody Peebles. I mean, mm-hmm. him and Shiloh Robinson played really well, I thought. Um, but Alabama shot really well that game, shot 10 of 22 from three, 51% overall from the field. They hit a ton of free throws, 31 of 38, but also dominated the rebounds again, 45 to 23. So you're seeing Alabama rebound. You're seeing them shoot the ball well this that game. And while it's still an improvement going from 20 turnovers to 15, shows a little bit of life. I mean, they, they were a lot more – it didn't even seem like 15 turnovers to me. They, no. It looked like they were more under control and took care of the ball better. Um, so that kind, that stat kind of surprised me when I saw it. Um, just quickly, what, what were your takeaways? I know – I believe you were at the game, were you not? Yeah, I drove up for yeah. that game, which was – 
a lot of fun. Um, Brandon and Mark both looked phenomenal. Uh, you saw Namari look a good bit more comfortable than he did against Longwood, where he just looked really uncomfortable. But it was his first game back in two seasons, so, I mean, who could blame him? Um, looked much better. Got to the line at will. I think he was seven of eight from the line. Um, Sears got to the rim whenever he wanted. He shot the ball really well from behind the arc, as did Brandon Miller. You kind of saw what those two can offer offensively. And as we're getting JQ back into the mix as well, those are three really high-quality shot creators who are going to set up others as well at a really high level, which I thought the biggest difference offensively, you see that the shooting percentages from three were so much better from Longwood and even South. The main difference and the reasoning behind that that I noticed was Alabama was able to still get to the rim whenever they wanted, but whenever they got two feet in the paint, they were able to spray it out to shooters and get really good looks from three. Against Longwood, they didn't do that quite as much. And against South, which we'll go more in depth about this, they weren't just getting into the lane and being able to spray out. It was a lot more lateral passing for threes, which aren't quite as good of rhythm shots. Um, Against Liberty, they had a lot of good rhythm jumpers. Pretty much everyone shot the ball pretty well from deep. It was, what, 45% from three as a team, 57% from from two. Um, So this was a really good game. I thought everyone played pretty well. Um, Jaden Bradley looked awesome. Rylan Griffin, again, looked great. Um, Brandon Miller was the best player on the floor. And as you touched on, Darius McGee was completely shut down, and that was due to Jaden Bradley and Namari Burnett just playing suffocating defense. They played no touch for a bit. They went out of that for a little bit and just guarded straight up and trusted their help. They did a really, really good job as a team defending him and defending Liberty as a whole. And Liberty's offense, I mean, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of back cuts. If you're ball watching, you're going to get killed by them. Um, and the team corrected it pretty quickly. We were only up nine at the half, and I was a little worried that we were only up nine and McGee hadn't gotten a lot of minutes due to foul trouble. But in the second half, Alabama really just turned it on and didn't look back. Yeah, the second half was what really stuck out to me. You know, I was sitting there watching it. You know, it, it felt like the lead in the first half was bigger than what it was, mainly because McGee wasn't scoring, and he was kind of sitting out. And 40-31, to 31, I'm like, Alabama should have had or already had them put away, kind of like what you said. Uh, but really, they they did in the second half, man. Like that was the Mark Sears game, to where he really showed that what he can do. I mean, he's a score first guard, and he he'll get out there and rebound too. I mean, he had ten rebounds the first game and had eight that game. Um, Brandon Miller scored twenty. I thought Rylan Griffin played well with sixteen, and Jaden Bradley just looked really smooth. He had ten and three assists, but some of the crafty finishes around the rim that he had in traffic, uh, being able to draw the foul, that's one thing that I've seen him be able to do so far is really get into the body of people and make them draw the foul and even had a couple and ones um, so far. So even with the front court not playing well, scoring-wise with Bidiaco and Clowney, they're really not going to be expected to. They're, they're becoming those rim protectors down low, the long athletic that can – um, switch off and be able to really guard. So, you know, a lot of it's going to be put on Miller and Sears and Griffin when the time comes, and hopefully Burnett when he gets when he gets going, and a surprise player that made his appearance um, against South Alabama last night. And kind of touching on that game, I know you went to it, and I unfortunately didn't even get to watch it live. And I rewatching it, I'm kind of glad I didn't. But having a nine-month-old with pneumonia and um, a son that's bedtime's nine o'clock and I have to lay down with him, 
made it really tough. I was so tired. I ended up falling asleep and waking up at midnight to see the score. And thankfully I have a good friend and Matt that's up at, you know, 12 o'clock probably just got home, texted me about what happened. Um, so luckily I got to watch this morning and it's a lot better when you know what's ha- going to happen. So you can kind of pay attention to more stuff, but gosh, it was a very sloppy game. The score indicates that when anytime Alabama scores 65 points, mm-hmm. it's pretty ugly. Um, typically they can manufacture 75 to 80 and still not play that great. But when they play 65, it was, you know, it was, it was a murky game. Um, 21 turnovers by Alabama. I mean, made 10 threes, but shot 35 of them. So still shot below 30%. I think they're going to hover around that 30%. I don't know um, what you expect, but based on last year and kind of what we've seen so far this year, I think it's fair to say 10 for 30. I mean, obviously a lot more room to grow there, but I think what you mostly can expect is about 10 for 30-ish. Um shooting line from outside so that's about it expected didn't shoot well from the free throw line which i was kind of surprised about but offensive rebounds 25 of them out rebounded a total 63 to 40 also had 21 turnovers so offensive rebounds second chance points nearly doubled them up on second chance points um you saw it live was it as ugly as it was on tv (laughs) it may have been uglier um (laughs) It was not the most pleasant game to watch. I mean, Bama started out pretty hot early on. It was, what, 12-4 to 4 at the uh, under-16 break or something like that, and the score kind of just paused. And then South Alabama finally scores. Alabama finally scores. All right, now we're back to a pause. So it was just very – no one on either team was really getting into a rhythm. Both teams defended really well. Um, and like we touched on from the Liberty game, Alabama was able to shoot so well because they could get in the paint, spray out. South Alabama defenders didn't have to help off of um, Alabama shooters on the perimeter because they had big Kevin Samuel, who's 25 years old and is seven foot 270, standing inside the restricted area and not moving from that spot because he's going to protect the rim at all costs. He's not afraid to use the fouls he has, and he knows he's going to block the majority of the shots to come in. So it really kind of throws a wrench into what Alabama wanted to do with getting Sears and Miller and Bradley in the paint to spray out the shooters because you have a huge human being just standing in the middle protecting the rim and doing a phenomenal job at it. Miller tried to throw one down on him. Uh, didn't work. Um, it was really awesome to watch in live action because it looked like it was going to work at first. Um, but a lot, well, of the turnovers, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the turnovers were just kind of just mind-boggling as well, some of them being obvious charges where we just didn't pull back quick enough or not getting your feet set on a screen, or countless lob passes that were just mistimed or Big Kev deflected. Um, So a lot of the turnovers, I think, are preventable, and it's not something that I foresee being much of an issue. Um, I think the shooting is the bigger question mark right now. Um, I I think I'm a little bit higher on our shooting than I think most are right now, because I do think getting Dom Welch back is going to help the shooting. He's a career, what, 37 38% three-point shooter. That translates at any level. at least to where he's going to be a respectable shooter who's going to help this team. He may not shoot 37, 38% in the SEC, but he's someone who I think is going to shoot above that 35, 36% clip and be able to contribute on this team. You're going to have Javon Quinterly back. I think you'll see closer to two years ago, Javon Quinterly shooting as opposed to last year, because defenses won't hyper-focus on him like they did last year. He was one of two creators. This year you have Sears, you have Miller, you have 
Jaden Bradley who can all create for themselves and others. So it's less pressure on JQ like you saw two years ago. Um, and getting to see JQ come back um, after eight months after his ACL tear was pretty incredible to see. Uh, you see him going through warm-ups, and it, it's encouraging. You're like, okay, great. Maybe he'll play against Michigan State. That's exciting. And then we're at the, I think, under-eight timeout, and you see Quinterly walk to the table, tap it, and take his warm-up off, and you're just kind of like, oh, he's he's checking in. Um, looked rusty, as you could expect, eight months after an ACL tear. He had a really nice pass to Pringle and pick and roll that Pringle just couldn't hang on to. Um, so I hated that counted as a turnover for JQ because I thought it was a really, really good look um, that Pringle just wasn't ready for. Um, but it was encouraging to see him back out there. I would assume we'll see him back out there again against Jacksonville State on Friday um, and getting ready for Feast Week. So I'm excited to see how he's going to progress and kind of knock the rust off before this big stretch Alabama's about to go through. Um, but for last night, um, really the only player that shot well from three was Brandon. He was four of nine. Mark was two of four from three, I believe. So I mean, that's 50%. He just couldn't really get open, and he couldn't get to the rim with Kevin Samuel there. Noah Clowney had eight offensive boards to go with his seven defensive boards to make up 15. He was phenomenal rebounding the ball. The whole team was. Um, and the, the one thing you can say, oh, well, last year's team couldn't shoot. This year's team's going to be the exact same. This year's team is not anywhere near the same as last year's team. And the fact that they defend their butts off every possession, um, they've completely locked down opponents three straight games. Defense is going to travel on the road. It's going to travel to neutral court games uh, in Portland and in Birmingham against Gonzaga on the road against Houston. You may not win those games, but your defense is going to play hard and they're going to give more effort than last year's team did, which is kind of reminiscent of two years ago. And I think this year's team has a chance to be just as special defensively um, with all the length and effort that they have. Um, so I, I was still encouraged by last night's game, despite how sloppy and ugly it was, um, because it's nice to see defense traveling on the road for a young team facing adversity um, whenever they start to see that 20-point lead deteriorate. Yeah, I don't get what some fans say in that. It's the same same Nato's coach team. All and all they point at is the the bot score, seeing the same amount of turnovers that they see last, from last year, and then they see you know the subpar three point shooting um, nights of two out of three of the, the games that we've had. I mean that's pretty lazy um, to say that because any Alabama basketball fan that's watched you know at, at, even if it's just an eight Oats coach team, you can tell that this team is a lot different than last year's, especially just watching the effort being put in. Um, the effort defensively, the communication on defense. Um, I, I think they're flowing better offensively because they have guys that just want to do their role and not worry about, you know, them getting the ball and scoring. I feel like they're playing a lot more selfless team basketball, and it's it's a lot prettier to watch. Now, I, I did not like the commentating in the game last night. I thought it was um, – I thought they picked on Alabama a lot. I thought they, I thought they were a little biased. I mean, I understand you're, you've got Alabama facing South Alabama, and you want viewers to stay in, um, kind of engaged, not the outside viewers. Um, that's not Alabama or South Alabama fans, which I don't know how many people probably stayed up that didn't have any kind of, um, you know, interest in the game that watched it, but. One thing that I did agree with what they said is that sometimes when Alabama is on offense and the first look isn't there 
And the longer it goes, the uglier it gets. I have noticed that. Um, yeah. And that's a product of being such a young team. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm kind of getting irritated at people that say it's the same Nate Oates team because it's not. They're just they're young. They don't have any senior guidance on the team. I mean, Noah Gurley, sure. But Javon Quinterly is the vocal leader of that team. And once he gets back, I feel like a lot of that will change. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was the surprise player that played eight months off a torn ACL. Um, that's pretty incredible when you think about it, um, to come back. Yes, he played, he looked rusty and that's kind of when the game got closer at the end, it was around a 20 point game. And then when he got in and they put some of the backups in, it kind of got closer. Um, but yeah, if he is ready by Michigan state and I feel like that's what, Nate Oates wanted him to do is get out there, jump around a little bit, see how he felt. And he only played like four or five minutes, I think. Um, but no setbacks is always a positive. Um, I don't care how he played, but as long as there are no setbacks on the injury, um, that's the best thing. But a great thing is that Alabama has Mark Sears. They have Jaden Bradley that can take over and just kind of ease him in and not miss a beat. But when he's back, and hopefully he's back by feast week, like you said. That backcourt just got a whole lot better, and it's going to be fun to watch. So Alabama's 3-0. They really haven't played anybody um, legit yet. A lot of people are wondering, okay, so what, what's this team going to look like when they're actually up against a team that they can't just overtake athletically um, or talent-wise? Well, you're not going to get it on Friday night. They're going to be playing in Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State's, um, based on Kim Palm, they're ranked 252nd, and it shouldn't be too much of a test for them. Um, I never really looked deep into what they do or how they are. Um, Just by looking at their metrics, they're pretty slow playing, not great on defense, and I I just think that Alabama's going to work on a lot of things this game to be able to tune up for the following Thursday against number 18 ranked Kim Palm, Michigan State. Now, anybody that watched uh, Michigan State defeat Kentucky last night, that was very impressive. Um, basically because they were down late in the, the second half, they came back, tied it, went to overtime. And once Toshibwe fouled out, um, Michigan State kind of took over that game late in overtime. And Michigan State's a really tough team. They nearly beat Gonzaga. Was the Mich- um, I wasn't able to watch it, Matt. Was the Michigan State-Gonzaga game the one that was on that ship? Yes, yep. It was. I don't know why they do that. Um, <laughs> one, they're like high winds or something like that. Like you just throw in the um, – Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And I remember seeing a picture pregame of the goal Michigan State was going to be shooting on. The sun is directly in the players' faces. It's it's not the best. It's a cool environment as a fan to like it watch it, and it's cool to see, you know, especially for those players to experience it playing in front of the people who serve our country. Um, mm-hmm. it, getting that opportunity, I feel like, is pretty dang special, um, and it's great to put on a show for the men and women who deserve it the most. Um, but from a pure playing basketball standpoint, oh my goodness, um, can't can't be the most fun thing in the world. Um, but you know, I, I'm glad we don't see Alabama play a game like that. I'm sure our fans would really love our three of 
40 three point shooting from having the sun blinding our players <laughs> um, at the five o'clock, you know, right before it gets dark to where the sun you can't see no matter what you're doing. Um, so I'm glad we don't have to experience that. But yeah, Michigan State looks good. I mean, they they were up, I believe, 11 on Gonzaga at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have won that game. And then they go and beat Kentucky in double OT. Um, Kentucky, who was Ken Palm's number one team at that time. Um, and Gonzaga, who was Ken Palm's, I believe, like number three, or perhaps they were number one at that point. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I mean, th- this Michigan State team's good. They've risen from like 32 to 18 pretty quickly based on how they've played against high-level competition. They have another pretty... This Villanova team's not the Villanova team that we're used to from Jay Wright that they're going to play on Friday night. Um, but they are missing their best player in Cam Whitmore. Um, but Michigan State's going to be tested again. They have this one at home before heading to um, Portland to play Alabama, and they get Villanova on Friday. Um, so both teams are going to be looking to get wins. Michigan State's going to be tested a little bit more. Um, but and just to touch on Friday night's game, there's not a whole lot to say about the Jacksonville State game. It's, it's a Ray Harper coach team. They're going to play hard. Um, Alabama should win the game handily. All right, that covers that. Um, they're gonna look to they're gonna look to play better. They know they didn't play well against South. They're gonna look to play better. They're gonna play hard on defense. They're gonna rebound. Um, I, I expect to see a much better offensive performance from Alabama. Um, you just have to make sure you're not getting caught looking ahead to next week. And I don't think that this team is gonna have that problem. Um, but touching on that Michigan State game coming up next week. Um, this Michigan State team's good. They're a Tom Izzo coach team, which means they play very hard and they play very well. Um, they're very experienced. Um, they returned a decent bit. Um, they have Hoggard back. They have Tyson Walker, Malik Hall, Joey Hauser, all those guys back. Uh, Jaden Akins plays a bigger role this year. It's a really fun team to watch. Um, they're going to test Alabama because they play pretty well defensively. Um, they're going to play well offensively as well. They don't turn the ball over a ton. Um, it's going to be a high-level matchup in Portland, like every game in that uh, Invitational is going to be. So I'm really excited for these next couple weeks of basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a contrasting of styles for sure because Alabama's seventh in adjusted tempo and Michigan State's 277th. Um, typically, that's how it is with Tom Izzo coach teams is they want to slow it down, run their action, and get the best shot possible. It's very similar to what Kentucky does. Um, you see a lot of the the older coaches do it, um, and they've had success year in and year out um, just because they're so well-coached and talented on top of it. Uh, but, yeah, you're looking at Alabama, who's you know ranked 21st in adjusted offense, and Michigan State that's 28th. And Alabama is 13th in adjusted defense, and Michigan State's 15th. So you're going to get – Probably one of the better games so far. I mean, you've had some top five matchups. You've had Duke and Kansas last night as well. But Alabama and Michigan State sneakily one of the better games in on Feast Week. Like, it's it's going to be a great test um, for Alabama specifically. And I believe you can go either way on this. I've been, Tell me what you think on this, Matt. You've got teams like Michigan State that are just – going through a gauntlet early on, right? Who they played, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Villanova, then Alabama, and who else, whoever else they play um, in Portland. Like, would you rather have those games and get tested early and risk, you know, losing those games early on or not be ready for those games? I guess it depends on what your roster makeup is. If you're really yeah. young or if you're 
they're they're not young. Like they're they're right. pretty. They, they've got a lot of veteran players. But if it was somewhere in or some team like Alabama, if their first four games were what Michigan State was, oh goodness, I don't know if they'd be ready. Like, right? Because yeah, and, yeah, and that's what I was about to say. I think it depends on your roster makeup a lot. So Michigan State's a really experienced team. I think it's good for a team like that to be tested early, find out what you are, get into Big Ten play, and then go. And even heading out of Feast Week, they're, they're still going to have a game against Notre Dame. Then they have a couple Big Ten games before they get into some of their bye games. Um, and they play their bye games, then go into the rest of Big Ten play. For a team like this, I think it makes a lot of sense to test yourself early. Um, you have veteran guys. You kind of know what you have. So go figure it out against some of the best teams in the country. I really love that approach from Izzo. For a team like Alabama that's a lot younger – I wouldn't want to see us test ourselves in November. I'd rather see it in December like we will. You don't want to diminish your young guys' confidence. It's nice to have, and even Longwood and Liberty, uh, not quite as much south in Jacksonville State. South's on the road, though, so it's a good test. Um, those are some pretty high-level mid-major teams, so you're still testing yourself, just not to that extent. Alabama's going to get into that, that extent when they travel to Houston. They host Memphis. They have a semi-home game as it's classified against Gonzaga. You have Feast Week here next week. So you're going to have five or six really, really high-level games in non-conference still, just at different points in the year than what Michigan State does. So, yeah, I, I think it depends on your roster makeup. I think this was the perfect start for Alabama as a really young team. Just like I think it's Michigan State's a really veteran team, it's a perfect start for what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, playing the likes of Jackson State and South Alabama is really not going to make you better. Um, but it will kind of give you more game action against other teams um, to get this young group kind of gelled together. And I think you're starting to see that. And even though they didn't play well last night, I feel like they're getting more cohesive. You're going to start sprinkling in some Javon Quinterly in there, and it's only going to get better. So, you know, you got Michigan State um, next Thursday, and then whoever we play, um, I believe it's Oregon and Connecticut. Um Winner, winner or loser of that game, depending on what the result of Michigan State is. And then you got South Dakota State at home. Um, that was a really high-scoring, fun game last year, and I expect it to probably be the same this year. And travel to Houston in that home-and-home -home series that we did last year uh, when Alabama, you know, beat Houston at the, you know, at the buzzer, basically, where Kelvin Sampson was not very happy, but it was not goaltended, you know. I'll, I'll say that. But yeah, it's a it, in December it's a lot tougher test, and before right before you get into SEC play, so hopefully the team is more gelled by then, and they start cleaning up a lot of those mistakes that they've been making, and kind of get get themselves together to be able to um, potentially win those games because these games in December matter just as one, much as the ones in March, and you want to look back on these games, and that's how Alabama got such a high seed last year is beating the likes of Houston and Gonzaga in December, um, even though they weren't playing well at the end of the year last year. So, you know, we're, we're looking at with Jacksonville State game on Friday. Um, we'll probably record again on hopefully Sunday or Monday and kind of recap that game, look closer into Michigan State. We'll kind of dive deeper into what makes Michigan State so good, kind of get the results from their Villanova game and kind of dive deeper into – the Alabama-Michigan State game um, and potential game that, or the next game they have, um, I believe it's the day after. I believe they play that Friday afterwards. Yep. Um, yep. So we can kind of dive deeper into that. 
Um, but yeah, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. I'm excited for this upcoming week. Um, excited to see how we respond Friday against Jacksonville State after a poor offensive performance. Um, like I said, I think we'll play pretty well. Um, I think we'll win that game by 15 plus. Um, I think they may keep it close for a little while. Jacksonville State tends to do that whenever they come to Coleman. Um, but I think you'll see another second half performance from Alabama like we did in the first two games um, where they just put a team away um, and get some confidence heading into that big matchup against the Spartans next week. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I appreciate everyone listening. And if you could, like I mentioned before, go go hit the subscribe button on our on our podcast. Be on the lookout for every episode. Um, put the notification bell um, for when a new episode comes about. Um, but until next time, I'm Jordan Harper, and join with me is Matt Landry. You've listened to the Double Dribble Podcast. Adios.